This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Our first program tonight is a Sherlock Holmes story. All of these radio shows were based on the writings of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. And, of course, he's best known for the detective fic- uh, fiction. Originally a physician, in 1887, he published A Study in Scarlet, the first of four novels about Holmes and Dr. Watson. In addition, he wrote over 50 short stories featuring the famous detective. The Sherlock Holmes stories are generally considered milestones in the field of crime invention. As a young doctor in 1882, uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle joined former classmate George Budd as his partner at a medical practice in Plymouth. But the relationship proved difficult, and Doyle soon left to set up an independent practice. He arrived in Portsmouth in June of 1882 with less than 10 pounds, which would be about 900 pounds in today's money, to his name, and he set up a medical practice. However, the practice was not successful. While waiting for patients, he returned to writing fiction. Doyle struggled to find a publisher for his work, but his first work featuring Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson, A Study in Scarlet, was finally taken by Ward Locke and Company, November of 1886, and gave Doyle 25 pounds, that would be 2,500 pounds in today's money, for all rights to the story. Holmes was partially modeled on his former university teacher, Joseph Bell. In 1892, in a letter to Bell, Doyle wrote... It is most certainly to you that I owe Sherlock Holmes, round the center of deduction and inference and observation, which I have heard you inculcate. I have tried to build up a man. And Robert Lord Stevenson was able, even in faraway Samoa, to recognize the strong similarity between Joseph Bell and Sherlock Holmes. He wrote, My compliments on your very ingenious and very interesting adventures of Sherlock Holmes. Can this be my old friend, Joe Bell? Doyle's attitude toward his most famous creation was sort of ambivalent, really. In November of 1891, he wrote to his mother, I think of slaying Holmes and winding him up for good and all. He takes my mind from better things. His mother responded, You won't. You can't. You mustn't. (laughs) In an attempt to deflect publishers' demands for more Holmes stories, he raised his price to a level indicated to discourage them, but found they were willing to pay exactly what he was asking for. As a result, he became one of the best-paid authors of his time. So let's go tonight as his old friend Dr. Watson recounts another tale, this one entitled Submarine Caves. Petri Wine brings you Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce in the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes. The Petri family, the family that took time to bring you good wine, invite you to spend the next half hour listening to Dr. Watson tell us another exciting adventure he shared with his old friend, that master detective, 
Sherlock Holmes. And now I know our good friend Dr. Watson's expecting us. Let's go in and join him. Good evening, Doctor. Uh, good evening, Mr. Barker. Say, how are you feeling, Doctor? All over that attack of flu you had? I'm feeling very much better, thank you, my boy. I'm still a little weak. <laughs> we old fossils take much longer to get over that sort of thing than you young fellows. Well, you take good care of yourself, Doctor. You've got a lot of friends, you know. Oh, I'm very glad to hear that. Thank you, Mr. Barker. And now settle yourself down and I'll get on with tonight's new Sherlock Holmes adventure. Where did it take place? You may not be familiar with the names of Jersey, Guernsey, Alderney, and Sark, but those are the four principal islands that make up the group known as the Channel Islands. Oh, yes, Doctor, I have heard of them. They're somewhere in the English Channel, aren't they? Between the southern coast of England and the northern coast of France? That's quite right, my boy, though I very much doubt if you ever heard of the tiny island on which this story happened. It was the island of Garth, a minute but self-contained spot with a population of just under a thousand inhabitants subsisting, and from what I saw of the island in those days, subsisting very well on its dairy products. Was it under the rule of the British government, Doctor? No, Mr. Bartell, not exactly. You see, the island belonged to a family by the name of Horn. The head of the family, who was known as the Seigneur of Garth, was an independent ruler owing nominal allegiance to the King of England. That allegiance was expressed by one of those traditional ceremonies in which the Seigneur annually presented one pound of freshly churned butter to a representative of the British crown. Times haven't changed much, have they, Doctor? Pound of butter is still worth a king's ransom. <laughs> but uh, tell me, what were you and the great Sherlock Holmes doing on the island of Garth? Well, just come into that, my boy, if you'll give me a minute. It was in the summer of 1896 when, to my utter amazement, Holmes informed me that we were going to the island of Garth as the official representatives of the British crown to accept the annual presentation of butter. At the time, I must confess, I couldn't see why Holmes wanted to accept such a ridiculous mission. It was only as we approached the island in a small fishing boat that he told me a great deal more was at stake than a pound of butter. Unfortunately, Mr. Bartell, I'm not much of a sailor, and as the wind was blowing hard and the sea racing, I'm afraid I wasn't a very intelligent companion. Get up, Watson. We'll soon be there. I hope so. I feel wretched, Holmes. I must say, the whole trip seems utterly ridiculous to me. Plunging and bobbing about in a little boat in a raging <laughs> torrent just because somebody wants to give somebody else a pound of butter. Dear old Watson, you don't really think our mission is so innocuous, do you? Then why are we going to the island of Garth? We're going to the island of Garth at the express wish of its present ruler, Martha Horn. Martha Horn? I never heard of her. She's an extremely spirited old lady. And the only woman who dared tell a certain resident of Windsor Castle that she looked devilishly dowdy for an empress. Great Scott, you mean that... I she... mean, uh, Watson, that uh, Martha Horn's behests are not likely disregarded. Obviously, she wishes to see me urgently. Also, my brother Mycroft put pressure on me. He reminded me that a, a visit to Garth might be closely allied to this emerald tie pin I wear. Of course, you recall the origin of this pin. Well, naturally, that lady at Windsor Castle gave it to you after our little trouble last year over those stolen plans for the Bruce Partington submarine. Exactly, my dear fellow. But remember that uh, the spy Oberstein had put those plans up for auction in all the naval centers of Europe. Some hint of their nature must have leaked out. It's even possible that other powers may be able by now to duplicate the pride of our submarine fleet. And whoever controls the channel, Watson, controls England. Well, they're dropping anchor, and yet we're still a quarter of a mile out from the island. 
the wire. Why do you think they're doing that? Here comes the skipper. He'll tell us. Here is as close to the island as we may approach, monsieur. We have already sent signals. A smaller boat is putting out for you. It will be here in a little while. Thank you. A smaller boat? Good Lord. Holmes, you were hinting at the naval significance of the island of Garth. Yes, old chap, I was. Well, what good would it be as a port if even a small boat like this can only come within half a mile of it? For a surface vessel, no, but we were speaking of submarines. Garth, I learned from the encyclopedia, boasts a magnificent interior cavern accessible only through underwater channels. Great Scott, an ideal natural harbor and dry dock for a submarine fleet. Precisely, and on the control of the island of Garth, Watson may well rest the fate of the British Isles. Now, old chap. Perhaps you see why Mycroft was so anxious for us to collect a pound of butter. Holmes, doesn't it seem wonderful to, to be on land again? First the fishing smack and then that wretched little rowing boat. Then the bucket swinging us up the, the face of the cliff. Now at last I can stretch my legs. Steady, old chap. Steady, steady. Let me give you a hand. You'll soon get your land legs back again. <laughs> Thank you. I'm a bit shaky, I must confess. Hello? Who's that couple walking towards us? A uh, welcoming committee, no doubt. How do you do? Mr. Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson. Permit me to present myself. I'm Dr. Hugo Oberwald. How do you do, sir? How do you do, doctor? And this is Mrs. Reeves, the housekeeper at Horn Castle, where you will be staying. How do you do? How do you do, Mrs. Reeves? Welcome to the island of Garth, gentlemen. You are deputed to come and greet you and take you back to the castle. We can walk there across the clifftops. It isn't very far. Ah, splendid. I think my friend will appreciate traveling on terra firma once again. <laughs> Dear me, Herr Doctor, you are not a good sailor, perhaps? No, perhaps about it, sir. I had a miserable crossing. I am sorry to hear it. I trust your short stay at the castle will be some recompense for the journey. The formal presentation of the butter will take place tonight. There will be no reason why you gentlemen cannot return to the mainland tomorrow. Oh, thank you, Mrs. Reeves, but it's more than likely that we shall stay on for a few days. Oh, it will be quite unnecessary. I'm afraid that is a matter for Mrs. Horn and ourselves to decide. I'm afraid that Mrs. Horn is incapable of making any further decisions. Oh, what do you mean, madam? Uh, obviously, you have not heard, but the news is slow in reaching the mainland. Uh, Mrs. Horn died yesterday. Died? Good Lord, a natural death, I suppose. But, of course... I attended her myself, a simple case of heart failure. The poor lady died in her sleep. Shall we begin our walk to the castle? Oh, Joe Holmes, this changes things. You suppose it was a, a natural death? I suppose nothing, old fellow. But in almost 20 years of practice, I can recall precisely three clients, actual or potential, who died natural deaths. Come on, let's follow them. <laughs> Mr. Watson, this is Mr. Christopher Horn, grandson of Mrs. Horn and the new ruler of Garth. How do you do? Oh, hello. How do you do, sir? So nice of you fellows to come over here. Too bad you had to arrive just as the poor old gal kicked the bucket, though. Allow me to uh, offer my condolences on your grandmother's death, sir. Yes, yes, indeed, Mr. Horn. Thank you. It was a ghastly business. I found her, Christopher. you know. Christopher. Frightful sight. There was an awful, an awful silly grin on the old dear's face and... 
Don't you think it would be more to the point if you were to explain the ceremony in connection with tonight's presentation? <laughs> You're right, Reeve. Reeve is a terrible tyrant, but she is efficient. Don't know what I'd do without her. Always ran everything for poor old Granny. Why, when the old girl was ill, she... Uh, Christopher, I gave you a schedule of the ceremonies this morning. What did you do with it? Dash it, Reeve, I don't know. Must have lost it. And I have my own copy in the study. <laughs> I swear I don't know what I'd do without you. Excuse us a moment, gentlemen. I'll be back in a jiffy. Holmes, what in thunder is going on here? That boy's completely under the thumb of Mrs. Reeves. He was trying to tell us something, but that frightful woman kept changing the subject. He spoke of an awful, silly grin on the dead woman's face. Didn't that suggest something to you? By Joe, that's one of the characteristic symptoms of strychnine poisoning. Exactly, old fellow. And perhaps he was going on to mention the equally characteristic arching of the body. We've got to get Mr. Horn to ourselves for a little while, and you've got to examine the body of the dead woman. And it's going to be difficult. Hmm. Is that a balcony outside the window? Yes, it is. Come along. Let's see what it leads to. The balcony seems to lead right round this particular mm. wing of the castle. Must have served as a lookout in the olden days. <sighs> I wish the balcony were a little wider. Must be a sheer drop of a couple of hundred feet down to the, the rocks below. Yeah. Hello. These must be the windows of the room adjoining the one we just came out of. Let's go a little closer, shall we? We may be able to find out something. Can you see anything? Yes. They're in there. Mrs. Reeves and the boy. She's leaving the room. Now's our opportunity. I'll tap on the window. He's seen us. He's coming to open it. What are you two doing out there? Admiring the view? Yes, my boy. It's, it's quite beautiful. Uh, Mr. Horn. Yes, Mr. Holmes. I was a great admirer of your grandmother. And I was interested in what you were telling me of her death. She had a... a grin on her face, you said. Yes. It was... it was awful. Her... her body was all hunched up like... like a croquet hoop. Really? Of course, uh, Dr. Oberwald said it was perfectly all right, but I must say it seemed dashed odd to me. Yes, it was far from all right, I, I assure you. And you started to say something else. What was it? Let me see. You said, uh, when she was ill... Oh, yes, that was a silly business. When she was ill, she thought she was in danger from poisoning, so she, she made Mrs. Reeves taste all her food and drink. Did she really? Uh, uh, where is your grandmother's body now? In the West Wing. The funeral's to be tomorrow morning. I see. Uh, where did Mrs. Reeves go? I'm well, here on the balcony behind you, gentlemen, listening to your conversation with the greatest interest. Christopher, let me warn you. These men are the emissaries of the British government. They would stop at nothing to take the island over. These men are trying to influence you against me, against Terevi, who has looked after you ever since you were born, and who tries to protect you now that your grandmother has gone and you are alone. Yes, I know, Reevy, but after all... That is your pride as the head of the Horn family, the Seigneur of Garth, the Garth that I am trying to save for you. This man is completely unscrupulous. He was about to accuse me of murder. Weren't you, Mr. Sherlock Holmes? The thought had occurred to me, Mrs. Reeves. Of course it had, because you wished to poison Christopher's mind against me. Well, Mr. Holmes, we have no police on the island of Garth. Our only law is the word of the seigneur, and Christopher now holds that title. Seigneur, what do you say? Will you allow an... Englishman to blind you by accusing me of being a murderess? Mr. Holmes? Dr. Watson? 
I shall meet you at the ceremony tonight. Beyond that, I... I don't care to speak to you again. Good day. A shame to spoil your plans, isn't it, Mr. Holmes? <laughs> well, upon the soul, magnificent, Watson. Magnificent. A murderess who seeks to defeat me by choosing herself. Superb. It's a new game, my dear fellow. And one that must be played to a finish. <laughs> Dr. Watson, this is certainly an unusual story you're telling us tonight. Uh, what happened after Mrs. Reeves left you and Sherlock Holmes standing on the balcony? We retired to our rooms and had a quiet and lonely lunch. Though the great man said little, I could see that he was deeply excited and that his keen brain was evolving some plan that would enable us to solve the mystery of Mrs. Horne's death. After lunch, we started to descend the stairs leading to the main hall of Garth Castle. As we did so, Holmes said... Uh, Watson, we're in no danger ourselves. Mrs. Reeves knows that we are here as emissaries of the British government. Yes, and if we didn't return with the butter within a few days, there'd be a British dreadnought here looking for us. However, I am in danger of one of my worst defeats. My professional pride is peaked. If only I could... Ah. Uh, Watson? Yes, Holmes? If at any time today I slip you a note, don't read it at once, but... Here comes Mrs. Reeves. Uh, precisely, Watson. I entirely agree. If I do not make the test on Mrs. Horn's body within 24 hours of her death, it will be useless. I must make it by 3 o'clock this afternoon. Mr. Holmes. Oh. oh, yes, Mrs. Reeves. I want to apologize for my behavior before lunch. I was intolerably rude. Oh, please, no. Whatever my quarrels may be with British politics, I at least owe to both of you the duties of hospitality. Oh, that's very gracious of you, Mrs. Reeves. Uh, I wonder... Uh, would your hospitality also include a, a personally conducted tour of the subterranean caverns for which this island has become internationally famous? Would they really interest well, you? Well, I'm afraid that my friend and I won't have the time Oh, yes, not at all, Watson, not at all. We have plenty of time. Well, as long as we're back here by three o'clock. I'm sure Dr. Oberwald would be delighted to join us. He has made quite a study of the unique rock formation. Oh, that's splendid. Um, it should prove a most interesting excursion. But, Holmes, why do we want to go stomping around a lot of damp and smelly caves? Well, the exercise will do us good, old fellow. Uh, uh, will you lead the way, Mrs. Reeves? And please remember that it's most important that I return I here... I remember, Mr. Holmes. You must be back here by three o'clock. Mr. Holmes, and we shall reach the giant cavern. Ah, most interesting. Uh, Watson and Dr. Oberwald seem to have lagged behind us somewhat. They will be here in a moment. There. This is the giant cavern. Ah, magnificent. Truly a miracle of nature. It's a natural submarine dry dock hewn out of the rocks. Yes, Mr. Holmes. And in the olden days, only the smugglers who inhabited this island knew the entrance that leads to this cave. The first seigneur of Garth found a cache of untold wealth hidden here. Simply. Silks, jewels. There are still the remains of some of the finest Calvados brandy stored among oh, these indeed. rocks. Indeed. <laughs> An incomparable drink. Would you care for some? It is our custom whenever visitors honor us with their presence to offer them a glass. <laughs> I should be delighted. There is a natural shelf here in the rocks. Perfect hiding place. Here you are, Mr. Holmes. 
Well, here is a glass. This is a rare privilege. I imagine that very few people have been offered it. Only our most distinguished visitors, I assure you. (laughs) This uh, cabin is completely inaccessible from the outer sea, I presume? Completely. Unless, of course, ships could swim under the sea. Which, as you know as well as I, they can, Mrs. Reeves, even outside the imaginings of Jules Verne. Indeed. Uh, Would you care to explore a little deeper? The others will be with us soon. Dr. Overvall, the others seem to be some way ahead of us. Yes, they do, don't they, Doctor? Uh, Holmes? Holmes, where are you? Dear me, I'm afraid we cannot follow them. Uh, what do you mean? The next cavern is already cut off by the rising tide. Wait, what do you mean that they're cut off? I am afraid so. But do not worry here, Doctor. In a few hours, the tide will recede. They are in no danger. Just, uh, shall I say, uh, temporarily marooned. <laughs> Uh, I'm getting confoundedly sleepy. I'm so sorry. I'm afraid that we stayed here longer than I intended. I fear that we are cut off by the tides. Cut off by the tides? We're in no danger. In a few hours, we shall be able to return. But uh, I'm afraid I cannot get you back at three o'clock, which was the time I promised. Uh, But it's vital. Uh, Absolutely vital that I could get back. I'm so sleepy. <laughs> but please keep talking. I must keep awake. Doctor Cobell, I, I must get to Sherlock Holmes at once. I am sorry, here, Doctor, but we are not able to control the forces of nature. We cannot force the water to recede. Your friend is in no danger. No, but he's got a most important test that he must make by three o'clock. I am afraid that will be impossible. I've got to do something. I should have come to these blasted caves in the first place. And what on earth I ought to do. I Joe, that note that Holmes gave me, he told me to open it if... Uh, where did I put it? Ah, here it is. A note from Mr. Sherlock Holmes, eh? Vital that you make medical test. Great Scott, Dr. Overall, it's absolutely necessary for me to return to the castle at once. Indeed. A note from Mr. Sherlock Holmes, and now it is most important that you return to the castle. No, my fine English friend. I am afraid I cannot allow you to. I don't know how you propose to stop me, sir. You see this revolver? And do you see this stick? I warn you, Herr Doctor. Oh, no, you don't. (sighs) I'm sorry you can't hear me, Dr. Overville, but when Sherlock Holmes gives me orders, I carry them out. Still trapped by the tide. Well, what, what time is it? Five o'clock. I'm afraid that you'll be a trifle late for your important appointment. What a pity. You deliberately trapped me here. You drugged the brandy and kept me a prisoner. Did I? Now, why should I do that, Mr. Holmes? Because you're greedy for power. It's obvious in your domination of that pleasant, though weak young man who is now Senor of Gath. I'm sure your beliefs would find support in certain ideologies now arising in Germany. Your 
choice of a German doctor as an accomplice in your plans would support that theory. And what might my plans be? I should say that you're determined to give Garth as a submarine base to Germany. With this island in their power, they could control the channel. Very interesting. And I suppose, as well as being a spy, I'm responsible for Mrs. Horn's murder. You and Dr. Oberwald between you? She was too strong for you. You had to get her out of the way. You probably made subtle attempts on her life at first, the origin of which she did not realize, but uh, which caused her eventually to send for me. My arrival forced your hand, and so you and Dr. Oberwald resorted to the quite unsubtle expedient of, of poisoning her. All pure supposition, Mr. Holmes. The only law on this island is Christopher Horn. Do you suppose he'll believe you? No, I suppose he won't. You've outwitted me, Mrs. Reeves. I walked into your trap just as you intended me to. Then in that case, you may collect your pound of butter tonight and return to the mainland tomorrow. Mrs. Reeves, uh, how much longer do we have to wait for the tide before we can make our way back to the castle? <laughs> we can leave now. We could have left at any time. There's another secret entrance that is above the tide level. I merely had to make you overstay the hour of your test. I could not risk Christopher's seeing definite proof. Come now. I shall lead you back. You fool. Holmes. Holmes, where have you been all this time? My bad, Watson. Did you open the note? Yes. Followed my instructions? Yes, it was, as you suspected. Thank heaven, old chap. Then now we can hoist her with her own batach. Here she comes. I'm glad to see, gentlemen, that you have assembled here in the seigneur's room. The ceremony of presenting the butter traditionally takes place here. As soon as Christopher arrives, we will explain our customs in this matter. Uh, Dr. Watson, I trust that Herr Oberwald proved an interesting companion on your excursion this afternoon. Yes, that's indeed most interesting. We had a discussion of the relative merits of the walking stick versus the revolver. I think I was able to make my argument fairly convincing. Where is Dr. Oberwald now? I imagine he's lying down. He had all the symptoms of impending headache when I, I saw him last. Why are you smiling, Mr. Holmes? What's been going on? I'm afraid, Mrs. Reeves, that your plans have misfired rather badly. As soon as Mr. Horn arrives, I expect you will be under arrest for murder and high treason. Christopher would never believe you. Wouldn't I? Mrs. Reeves, you poisoned my grandmother. Christopher, what lies have these men been telling you? You're the one that's been telling me lies. I believed you when you said you'd been tasting the old lady's food. But when Dr. Watson showed me the results of his test this afternoon... It was as clear as daylight. But the tests could prove nothing after 24 hours had passed. You said so yourself, Mr. Holmes. A deliberate lie, Mrs. Reeves. I'm afraid that I invented that mythical 24-hour test. I knew that as soon as I mentioned it, you would attempt to prevent my carrying it out. So I was delighted when you fell into my trap. You thought that you were shanghaiing me, whereas in reality I was shanghaiing you. My job is to prove your guilt to the senor. With your dominant presence away from the household, it was easy for Dr. Watson to make his test. You devil! You knew all the time! Oh, of course I did. But I had to deceive you. I'm glad my performance was sufficiently convincing. By the way, Mrs. Reeves, the drug brandy was dreadfully clumsy. You didn't drink it, huh? Oh, of course I didn't. But it was very unflattering to me that uh, Mrs. Reeves thought I might. Mrs. Reeves, you realize what this means, don't you? I'm going to ask these gentlemen to take you and Dr. Oberfeld back to the mainland with them tomorrow. And stand trial in a British court? Never! I was born on the island of Garth. I have lived here all my life and I shall die! Reedy, what are you up to? Stop her! She's going out on the balcony. One day Garth will belong to Germany. One day the whole 
still can't believe she was a murderess and, and a traitor. Now, oh, it's shocking. Oh, shabby finished for shabby business. Mr. Horn, I suggest that we make sure Dr. Oberwald does not escape justice and that we then perform the ritual presentation of the butter. Yes, Mr. Holmes. The island of Garth will still pay tribute to England, and I think it always will. Well, Doctor, that was some story. So Germany didn't get the island of Garth after all. No, Mr. Bartell. In fact, in after years, the island proved to be an invaluable submarine base for England. Say, um, what about the pound of butter? Did Holmes get it? Oh, yes, yes. But why are you so interested in the, in the butter? Are you kidding? In our house, butter is our second most favorite topic of conversation. Your second most favorite? Well, what's your favorite topic of conversation? Remember, you asked me. Petri wine. Oh, as if I didn't know. Doctor, that Petri wine is something to really talk about. You know, the Petri family has been making wine for generations. Why, the art of making fine wine is their heritage. Handed down from father to son, from father to son. Believe me, when it comes to turning luscious, sun-ripened California grapes into fragrant, delicious wine, the Petri family really knows how. And they're proud of their wine, too. That's why the name Petri on a bottle of wine really means something. It's the personal assurance of the Petri family that every drop of that wine is good wine. It ought to be, because Petri took time to bring you good wine. Well, Dr. Watson, what new Sherlock Holmes adventure do you have lined up for us next week? Next week, Mr. Bartell, I'm going to tell you a story that took place on the Sussex Downs many, many years ago. It concerns a young girl, a painter in watercolors, and a very wise old lady. I call it The Adventure of the Living Doll. <laughs> Tonight's Sherlock Holmes adventure was written by Dennis Green and Anthony Boucher and was suggested by an incident in the Sir Arthur Conan Doyle story, The Adventure of the Bruce Partington Plan. Music is by Dean Fossler. Mr. Rathbone appears through the courtesy of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer and Mr. Bruce through the courtesy of Universal Pictures, where they are now starring in the Sherlock Holmes series. Petri Wine Company of San Francisco, California, invites you to tune in again next week, same time, same station. Sherlock Holmes comes to you from our Hollywood studios. This is Harry Bartell saying goodnight for the Petri family. For a solid hour of exciting mystery dramas, listen every Monday on most of these same stations at 8 o'clock to Michael Shane, followed immediately by Sherlock Holmes. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. Stay tuned for Red Skelton next on Theater of the Mind. You're listening to Theater of the Mind on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Time now for the Red Skelton Show. Rel brings you the life of Riley. <laughs> Shampoo that removes unsightly dandruff in as little as three minutes and leaves hair radiantly clean, radiantly lovely, presents The Life of Riley with William Bendix as Riley and a visit from your favorite, Red Skelton. 
doting father than Chester A. Riley would be hard to find, especially when it comes to his teenage daughter, Babs. No mother hen ever clucked so anxiously over a young chick. And whenever Riley starts clucking, as he's doing right now, it means only one thing. He's going to lay a big egg. <laughs> Peg, Peg. Oh, hello, Riley. I didn't hear you come in. Peg, call a doctor, quick. Riley, what's happened? Is it Junior? He's been in an accident. Peg, call a psychiatrist right away. Oh, it's for you. Now <laughs> lie down, dear. You'll snap out of it. And you'll just have to give up that riveting job. It's not for me. It's for Babs. I was passing her room just what's now. What's wrong with Babs? Well, come here. You'll see for yourself. Well, what's the matter? Is she... Shh, listen. In Babs's room. Oh, oh, Tom, it's sweet of you to ask me to be your wife, but I can't think of marriage just yet. My career comes first. Of course, I'd be glad to wear your frat pin and go to the dance with you and drive around in your convertible, but let's not talk about marriage for a while. You hear that? Well? There's no one in the room with her. She's talking to herself. And what's worse, she's calling herself Tom. <laughs> what of it? She's forgotten she's a girl. This can get her into big trouble, Peg. Oh, Riley, come away from there. Babs is perfectly all right. That's that studying. Too much algebra. Drive anybody nuts. Always trying to find X. I know. I spent six years in high school looking for X, and I never found it. Riley. I know exactly what's wrong with Babs. You do? Well, uh, I, I didn't want to ask you, but as long as you brought it up yourself... Uh, Tommy, has there ever been anybody in your family who, uh, you, you know... Chester who... Riley. Are you asking me if there's ever been any insanity in my family? Yeah, nothing personal. <laughs> well, there was one person who everybody thought was crazy. Now we're getting somewhere. Who? Me, when I married you. <laughs> now, just a minute, Peg. What do you mean, oh, you? Oh, honest, Riley, how could you think for one minute that your own daughter is... Oh, but she's got symptoms, talking to herself, calling herself Tom. She's got symptoms, all right, but it's not what you think. Well, what could it be? Riley, do I have to take you aside and tell you the facts of life? Peg, is there something I ought to know that you're holding back? Your daughter has fallen in love. Bad. Yes, that's why she spends half her time daydreaming out loud about this Tom. He's coming here to see her tonight. Babs, in love. Babs. Well, why are you surprised? Is it so unusual for young people to fall in love? No, you're right, Peg. Love was always a big thing in my life, right up until the time I got married. <laughs> my sweet embraceable. You... Oh, hello, Mother. Daddy, I didn't even know you were home. Embrace. Oh, she's in a daze. She's really got it bad. Yeah, her heart's so full of love, she's just got to pour it out and sing it. Just listen to her. Well, I'm glad to see you're acting intelligent about this. I was afraid you'd make a fuss. Who, me? <laughs> What's there to make a fuss about? Because she's in love? Well, that's natural. Reminds me of the time when I was young. Remember in the park? How we'd sit on the bench where it was dark and you'd sing. And then I'd... Babs, cut out that singing! <laughs> oh, Mother, it's almost eight. Tom, 
Mom will be here soon. Did you talk to Daddy? But not yet, Babs. Oh, but you promised. You know how Daddy is when a boy spends an evening here. Now, don't worry, dear. I'll get him to go to a movie. Hey. Hey. Oh, do it now, Mother, before Tom gets All here. All right. Peg, you got a good book to loan me. I feel like staying in tonight and reading a book. I need some sleep. <laughs> dear, uh, wouldn't you rather go to a movie? Yeah, okay, Dumbledore. Well, here's 50 cents. Have a good time. <laughs> well, uh, ain't you going? Uh, no, I, I think I'll stay in tonight. Oh, well, I don't like to go alone. I'll stay in and keep company with you. Oh, eh? Thank you, but I can do without you this evening. Well, hey, Babs, what are you all dressed up for? And who took the slipcovers off the couch? Riley. And look, cigarettes in the cigarette box. We expecting a visitor? Or t- oh, 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 tonight's the night your new crush is coming. Well, now I gotta stay here and meet him. Oh, no, you mustn't. I mustn't? Oh, well, uh, I mean... Oh, I get it. So that's why you're trying to push me out of the house. You're ashamed of me. Oh, oh I am not. You are so. You're afraid those fancy college friends of yours will think I ain't got culture. <laughs> well, it's time you learned you can't hide the truth. <laughs> Riley. Oh, come on, Daddy. Be nice. Go on. I had enough of this. Now, you listen to me. I'm the head of this house, and I do as I please. No one can bribe me with 50 cents and try to push me out of the house to go to a movie. Not if I don't want to. I ain't budging from this spot. Chester Riley. Well, all right, but at least give me 10 cents for popcorn. You give us. Why the glum gloom? I just had a little argument with Peg. Babs' boyfriend is visiting, so Peg tried to push me out of the house. You know what she said? How should I know? I ain't the kind of a guy who goes around snooping, eavesdropping on his next door neighbor. Boy, I told her off plenty. You were right. At least you should have given you ten cents for popcorn. <laughs> Gillis, you heard. Well, my radio went on the blink and I couldn't get it face to be ignorant, so instead I listened to you. <laughs> Women, always trying to push you around. Yeah, you gotta stand up to them. Yeah, fight back. Don't let them get away with it. Gillis, you wanna go to the movies with me? Riley, you ain't going to the movies and leave Babs in there with that college boy sitting on that couch. Well, I don't care. If she's ashamed of me and don't want me around... I got my pride, you know. You think that's the reason she don't want you around? It's plain to see you ain't kept up with the modern American youth. What other reason could there be? Riley, do I have to take you aside and tell you the facts of life? No, Peg promised to tell me. (laughs) Riley, think back 20 years to the time when we was boys in Brooklyn and we called on girls. You thinking? Yeah. Well, then... Don't rush me. I'm still thinking. (laughs) Well, now you know. Gillis, you don't think... No, Babs is pretty sensible after all. If I was Babs' father, I'd play it safe. The minute this guy steps in the house, throw him out on his ear. Well, I can't do that. He may be a nice kid. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it wouldn't be polite. No. Yeah, hide in a closet somewhere and keep your eyes and ears open. Gillis, you want me to be a spy? Why not? 
According to the newspapers, everybody's doing it. Well, okay. After all, I'm only doing it for Babs' sake. It's my duty as a father. And you're a wonderful father, Riley. Believe me, if I ever have a daughter, I'd only wish you could be her father. <laughs> Hey, Riley, when is he getting here? We've been in this closet a half hour already. Well, he ought to be here any minute. It's getting stuffy. There ain't much oxygen in here. Oh. Now we'll have to save it. I'll breathe in and you breathe out. <laughs> what do you mean, Dom? Shh. I hear something. It's them. What are they saying? I can't hear. M- move over, Gillis. I want to peek through the key. Yeah, wait a minute. This overcoat's falling down. Where? <clears throat> okay. Oh, yeah. Now we'll see. Well, what do you see? Uh, nothing yet. Oh, let me peek, Riley. I know from experience my eyeballs fit all your keyholes. <laughs> no, it's my keyhole. I'm gonna. I can see now. Yeah, what, 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 what? Babs what? just sat down on a couch. Aha. Uh-huh. And he sat down beside. Me. No, no, he's sitting away on the other side of the room. A smart operator. He's just maneuvering. He's getting up. He's walking. Aha. Uh-huh. Now he's on the couch. No, he took a cigarette from the coffee table. He's moving again. Aha. Uh-huh. Now he's on the couch. No, he went over to the window. Now he's turning around. He's coming back. He's near the chair. He's past the chair. He's past the coffee table. He's up to the lamp. Uh-huh. Now he's on the couch. <laughs> yeah. I told you so. <laughs> Babs moved to the other side of the room. He's chasing her. No, she just got up to get some candy. She's coming back. She's sitting down on the couch? Yeah. Uh-huh. But now he's getting up. <laughs> what a dope. For this, he went to college? <laughs> he went to the bookcase. He took out a book. Aha. Uh-huh. Now he's going back to the couch. Now he's... Dude! The lights went out. I'm going in there. Riley, wait. Don't... Put on the lights. <gasps> Daddy, what are you doing in the closet? Mr. Riley... Uh, don't sir. you, Mr. Riley, me, you, you, you couch slouch. Put on the lights this minute. Riley, what on earth are you doing? He was hiding in the closet, Mother. That's lucky I was. They just put out the lights. Riley, the lights are on. Don't tell me. It's pitch black. There's an overcoat over your head. (laughs) Well, I think I'll go to the movies. Good night, Babs. I'd better be going. Oh, oh, must you, Tom? I'll see you sometime. Wait, Tom, don't. I really must. Good night. Well, Tom, what? Oh, Babsie, darling, don't cry. Yeah, Babsie, don't cry. It's no harm done. Get away from her. How could you? Humiliating me like that. He was going to ask me to go to the dance, and now he'll never take me. But, Babsie... Don't talk to me. I never want to speak to you ever, ever, ever. Chester Riley spying on your own daughter. You want to be... I'll settle with you later. But, Pat... Don't you... talk to me. Babs, Babsy, darling. Gillis. Gillis, where are you? I'm still in the closet. <laughs> Gillis, old pal. Don't talk to me. I don't want to have nothing to do with a sneaky spy. <laughs> <laughs> What a revolting development this is. Riley, are you listening to me? Please, Peg, I'm eating breakfast, and it ain't polite for you to talk while my mouth is full. You've had enough to eat. Now, listen. Give me a couple more eggs. No, we're going to have this out once and for all. Do you realize what you've done? 
Give me another stack of wheat cakes. You just about broke Babs' heart, and all you can do is sit there and stuff yourself with wheat cakes. What possessed you to hide in that closet? How could you make such an idiot of yourself? Gillis helped me. (laughs) Can I have some more coffee? Oh, I just don't understand you. Well, a father's got to look after his daughter. Not through keyholes. My father didn't spy on me when you called on me. Well, I bet he regrets it to this very day. (laughs) Give me some more wheat cakes. Oh, the poor child was up half the night crying. But a lot you care. That ain't true. Believe me, I'm heartbroken about this. Right now, just thinking about it, I got a big lump in my throat. That's the wheat cakes. (laughs) It ain't not. It's sediment. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) It'll be okay, Peg. I'll fix things up. It's too late. The damage has been done. You frightened her boyfriend off. He'll never take her to the prom now. Well, she can change boyfriends. And when the word gets round, she'll be the laughingstock of the whole neighborhood. So she'll change neighborhoods. It might be simpler if she just changed fathers. Well, that's a good idea. She can... That's not a nice thing to say. A guy can't sit down to breakfast without being insulted. Just a minute. Where are you going? I'm going out to eat breakfast. Change fathers, she said. After all I'd done for him, now they want to change fathers. Well, that's what they think. I'd like to meet the guy who tried to take me away from them. How do you do, Riley? Well, Digger, it's you. It is I indeed. Digby O'Dell, the friendly undertaker. Greetings, Riley. You're looking fine. Very natural. Well, uh, what are you doing around here, Digger? Oh, I'm on my way to the weekly meeting of the UEPGC. UEPGC? The Undertakers, Embalmers, and Pallbearers Glee Club. (laughs) I'm going to sing that popular song from the hit parade. What's that? Put him in a box, tie it with a ribbon, and drop it. Digger, Digger, I'm in trouble. Oh, not again, Riley. No sooner do I pull you out of one hole than bingo, you're in another. One of these days you'll find yourself in a hole, and I'll let you stay put. Well, I can't help it, Digger. The trouble with me is I always let people down. That's my trouble, too. (laughs) But I always cover up my mistakes. Now, I really pulled a boner this time. Babs was entertaining her boyfriend, and I spied on him from the closet. Oh, spying's a bad business. I remember I once suspected that one of my assistants was loafing on the job, so I hid in a box and spied on him. Did you nail him? No, he nailed me. (laughs) Oh, I was mortified. Well, I was caught, too. Poor Babs, she's heartbroken. Now she's got no one to take her to the dance tonight. Riley, your problem is solved. I have just the boy for you. Yeah? Who? My wife's nephew. He's coming in from out of town today. Yeah, is, is he a nice boy? Well, I've never met the dear lad personally, but my wife comes from a fine family. Upstate farmers. The closer people are to the soil, the better I like them. Well, gee, he sounds okay. Will you send him over tonight for dinner? Indeed, I will. Oh, Digger, you're a real pal. I can always count on you. 
That makes us even. I'm counting on you. <laughs> now, if you'll excuse oh, me... Oh, wait a minute, Digger. You didn't tell me your nephew's name. Oh, yes. It's Clem. Clem Cadiddle <laughs> Well, cheerio. I'd better be shoveling off. Babs, 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 open the door. Go away. But it's me, Daddy. Leave me alone. But Babs, I got good news. I fixed everything. I don't everything. want to speak to you. But Babs, you... Oh, Riley, haven't you done enough? But I got good news. Here I go and fix it so Babs can go to the dance and you... Oh, oh. Daddy, you spoke to Tom. He's taking me to the dance. Not Tom. I got somebody better than Tom. Clem. Well, who's Clem? He's a wonderful boy. You'll be crazy about him. Oh, Riley, you have no right to pick up strangers. Well, he ain't a stranger. He's Digger O'Dell's nephew. Oh. Yeah, Digger says he's a lovely boy. Well, if Mr. O'Dell says he's nice, I, I guess it's all right. Why, sure. And you know Digger, he don't make snap judgments. He always goes below the surface. <laughs> now, Clem will be here for dinner, and after you can go to the dance. But how do I know I'll like him? Don't worry. You'll like him. I guarantee it. The minute you see him, you'll swoon. Oh, but, Daddy, but I... That's Clem. Oh, I'm not even dressed. Oh, neither am I. Well, hurry up and fix yourself up. I'll entertain him. Oh, Mother, where's my blue dress? Oh, I, I hung it in your closet. Now make it snappy. <laughs> well, here I am. Whoops! No. No, no, no. No, I couldn't have seen it. I don't drink. Well, I'll open the door. Maybe it ain't there anymore. It's still here. Where's my girl? I hope she looks better than you do, brother. Yes, sir, you're looking at a man that's in the mood for romance, boy. I ain't been kissed since we sold our nearsighted cow. Are you, are you Clem Cadiddlehopper? Uh, don't let my pointed head fool you. I ain't Woody the Woodpecker. <laughs> oh, maybe I am. Oh, no, I, I couldn't be. Not with my ostrich-like neck. <laughs> Tell me, son, where did Digger Odell dig you up? Oh, wouldn't you like to know? <laughs> I'm sorry I'm late, but I just went down to the draft board. Yeah. 24s go now, you know. Yeah. Uh, the first doctor examined me, he said I was a moron. Well, I resented that. <laughs> so I took it to a higher up. I demanded an IQ from three impartial psychiatrists. Yeah. Uh, how did they finally classify you? Care to shake hands with an imbecile? <laughs> 
Look, Clem. Clem, you better go. There's been a mistake. I... Mistake? Yeah. Well, I got more information that you weren't expecting to see me? Well, not till Groundhog Day, no. <laughs> you shouldn't have come here like this. You should have phoned me, Clem. Well, I tried to phone you, but I can't get the hang of these city phones. You, know, you used up all my nickels trying to get the operator. Every time I put my nickel in and pull the receiver down, all I got was lemons and cherries. <laughs> Compared to this guy, I'm Einstein. <laughs> well, where's my girl? Drag her in. I can't stand here puckered up all night, you know. <laughs> this alum don't come cheap, you know. But, Clem, I told you there's a mistake. Oh, let's get going, stupid. <laughs> Who are you calling stupid? Oh, don't flatter yourself. I was just talking to myself. <laughs> Look, you gotta go, please. I ain't budging, not till I see my girl. Oh, beat me with a licorice whip, I'm the candy kid. <laughs> Clem. Clem, look. Clem. Clem, wait in here, huh? In here, huh? Well, what is this, Doug? That's the parlor. Kind of small for a parlor, isn't it? What, what are all these coat hangers doing? Hey, let me out of here. Clem, please. Clem, keep quiet. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm late for that. Well, Riley, where's the boy? He, he ain't here. He didn't come yet. Well, who was that at the door? Oh, uh, that, that, that was the Fuller Brush Man. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's that? In the closet? It's those California moths. Peg, <laughs> I, I got to call Digger. Peg, don't open up that closet. The moths may attack you. I'll be right back. Hmm, there's something funny. I better take a look in that closet. I couldn't have seen it. I don't drink. Well, it's about time, girlie. Hey, who put out the light? There's an overcoat over your head. Oh, well, here I am. You're Clem Cadiddle Hopper? Yeah, don't let the hat fool you. I ain't head of Cadiddle Hopper. <laughs> That's too fast for her. She didn't get it. She didn't get it. <laughs> didn't care much for it myself. <laughs> Are you my girl? You ain't no chicken, you know. Well, really, I... Well, let's get going now. Let's get going before you get any older. <laughs> Come on, pucker up. Oh, well, I never... No, I never did either, but I'm going to tonight. <laughs> Come here, my little flower. Now, 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 wait, Mr. Cadiddlehopper. Well, I'm trailing you, little honeysuckle. Well, I'm another, I'm a heels beels, I am. Wait, Mr. Cahapadoodle, don't, don't, I'll call my husband. Uh, you can call him, but he'll have to bring his own girl. <laughs> Riley, help! Peg, what's, Peg, where are, Cadiddlehopper, get off my wife's lap. Well, what do you know, he's insanely jealous. Chester Riley. Now, wait, Peg, I didn't. You expect Babs to go out with this? Shake hands with an imbecile. <laughs> mother! Mother! Oh, Riley, if Bab sees him, she'll have a fit. Uh, uh, 
I can't wait to get to the dance hall. I gotta get these things off. Shoes, they call them. <laughs> I'm warning you, Riley. Don't let Fab see him. She'll never speak to you again. Well, what can I do? He won't go in that closet again. Oh, yes, he will. Uh, come here, Clem. I knew she'd finally succumb. <laughs> will you uh, wait in here, Clem? Uh, in the library? Looks just like the parlor to me. <laughs> Hey, me Mother! Oh, here you are. Mother Tom just phoned. He's taking me to the dance after all. He's calling for me any minute. Where's my coat? Oh, oh, it's in the closet. Bam, don't. Uh -huh. Oops! Daddy, what on earth? I know, Babs. You don't drink, but you saw it all right. <laughs> oh, oh, that's Tom now. Oh, Babs, here I am. What? I'm your, you're my date tonight, kiddo. Hello. Goodbye. Short evening, wasn't it? <laughs> I look like I'm stuck with you, Mom. Get your bubble gum. Let's blow. <laughs> hey. Hey, wait. Where are you going? If you think for one minute that I'm going to stay in the house with this... this... I'm still an imbecile. I'm in a rut. <laughs> I'm going to a movie. But, Dumplin', you... You can entertain Mr. Cadiddlehopper. But, uh, Are you my date, brother? <laughs> Yup, here I am. <laughs> what a revolting development this is. This is Chester A. Riley. Good night, folks. Thanks to Red Skelton for joining us tonight. We loved it. Procter and Gamble invite you to join us again next week to hear The Life of Riley with William Bendix's Riley. William Bendix is currently starring in the Babe Ruth story and Allied Artist Picture. The Life of Riley is produced by Irving Brecker. And remember, for radiantly clean, lovely hair, get the shampoo in the tube. P-R-E-L-L, Prell Shampoo. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's My Favorite Husband, followed by Lights Out. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.